0: Hey there, Java junkies. What is going on? I would love to know how you're bringing T4C episodes into your life while you're driving to work or on the subway or the bus or biking or walking to classes or like me when I'm cleaning on the weekends or when I'm cooking. As always, you can tweet me or ping me on Instagram at time, the number four coffee, LLC. But in the meantime, grab your mug and take a chug of your delicious coffee or espresso because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my next guest is someone I have known since I was a young Java junkie myself. He and I met when we were undergrads at Middlebury College in Vermont a million years ago, which means we've known each other long enough that he's got some dirt on me and he better not spill it. That is for sure. I am so grateful that I can introduce him to all of you. My friend Tom Knox is a partner at the law firm of Morrison Forster, where he advises his clients on corporate financing technology transfers, and sourcing matters, serving as a strategic advisor to companies in the technology, media, life sciences, transportation, manufacturing, and government service sectors, and to investors in such companies. (sighs) Tom, how the heck do you say that in a single sentence? That is a lot of shit, man.
1: (laughs) Andrea, it's great to be here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Tom, welcome to Time for Coffee. Thank
1: you very much.
0: Are you caffeinated?
1: I'm totally caffeinated. I'm ready. You're ready? Absolutely.
0: Oh, my God. I am so excited. I cannot believe this. This man most likely has pictures of me doing things that if my 14-year-old son saw them, I would never hear the end of it. Am I right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I remember you back in the days of college radio, Andrea, WRMC FM.
0: I remember that too. Tom Knox Rocks. That's
1: right. Every Thursday from 10 to 1. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now you are a partner, and you have been for many years, at a very prestigious law firm. And you are, let's shorthand this, a technology business lawyer. What the heck? you do, Tom?
1: Well, I'm really, I'm a Silicon Valley type lawyer here in Washington, D.C., which has a very healthy technology business community and has for a very long time. This was the birthplace of America Online, a bunch of telecommunications companies, a lot of cybersecurity companies. There's a thriving technology business community here. It is uh, smaller than Silicon Valley's, but it is a, it's an energetic community. I'm very happy to be part of it.
0: So give us an example. You mentioned America Online, AOL, of some of the kinds of clients that you've worked with over the years and the kind of work that you do as a Silicon Valley type lawyer.
1: Well, so all Silicon Valley type lawyers, whether they're physically located in Silicon Valley or not, provide full-fledged advice to companies across a range of disciplines. So these companies are generally first concerned about raising money. So- Lawyers of my type help these companies raise money through what's called equity financings, also known as venture capital financings. We help them negotiate relationships with their banks. We help them put together licensing agreements, customer agreements and the like so they can actually go out and make money selling their their new technology. We help them acquire other companies and be acquired themselves. We take them public to what's called initial public offerings or IPOs with them and we help them go around the world. So when the time is right, they expand into Europe, Asia, all around the world, and we can help them do that as well. So we really, in in the best situations, we become part of the team. We become counselors to the founders and managers of these companies and really help them grow. And along the way, help them hire new employees and grow the economy and generally be part of the technology world, which is really kind of overtaken our larger economy here over the yeah. past thirty years.
0: You I remember when you were still in college and shortly out of college, you were always interested in technology and computers. That's true, yes. Did you have any idea that this would become your niche?
1: I had a pretty good idea that I was going to be doing something in the technology world. I wasn't sure what. My older brother was an engineering student at Syracuse when you and I were at Middlebury. He went on to get an E.E. degree and worked for a number of tech companies on the East Coast. He now actually lives and works out in Palo Alto in Silicon Valley for a major tech company. So he kind of lived that dream. He is a year and a half older than I am. So we were both kind of tech nerds before it was cool. And
0: And it is very cool now.
1: Well, it is more cool than it was when I was in high school, I'll tell you that much. But so I was very eager in college to figure out a way to combine my interest in technology with my interest in language. And it turns out that going to law school and learning to become a technology business lawyer was that combination that I was looking for.
0: Take us inside an average day here at Morrison Foster and like what you're doing.
1: So Morrison Forster is a large global firm. We have about a thousand lawyers in 16 offices around the world. Here in Washington, D.C., we have two offices, actually, one in Washington itself and another here where we are in Tyson's Corner, Virginia, just outside Washington. And this is really our tech business hub and the the business hub for the community from Tyson's out to Dulles Airport, up into Maryland and so on, and and many companies in D.C. as well. And so what I do is I help this office serve that community. And a typical day could include attending a client's board meeting, which could take half a day and would be located in one of the places that I just mentioned. It might be having a group of people in to the office here to negotiate a deal of some kind. It involves a lot of phone calls. It involves a lot of email. So in that way, it's very much like any kind, any style of work these days. A lot of time spent in front of the computer sending and responding to emails and having to shift gears each time as you shift from one client to another and try to help them accomplish their
0: goals. Tom, what do you think are the skills or skill sets that a young Java junkie would need to have before they even consider going to law school? And I'm just saying because that would mean that they would have the right temperament to enter this field if they think, oh, yeah, I'd like to be a tech lawyer?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, first, I'll point out the obvious, which is that there are many different kinds of lawyers. So when you go to law school, you have a huge array of types of jobs that you could have coming out of law school. And of course, the most well-known and photogenic aspect of being a lawyer is to be a litigator, that is to be in court arguing a case, whether that's a criminal or civil case. And that's the kind of lawyer that gets depicted most often in television and the movies. Business lawyer, not so much. A business lawyer doesn't necessarily seem so flashy up on on the big screen. But so the right temperament for a business lawyer, is someone who doesn't necessarily need to be performing front and center all the time, but is very interested in bringing people together and creating something new for people and helping do things like build communities, build jobs, build companies, that kind of thing. So I would say that kind of personality is really well suited for being a business lawyer. And if you're a little more out there, you love performing, maybe you should become a trial lawyer litigator. And that is a wonderful way to practice law. It just doesn't happen to be my way.
0: Mm. As you look back on the various clients that you've had over the years, could you share with us maybe an example of a client that where the work was so unbelievably interesting, where what you were doing was so exciting that like you would have done it for free?
1: <laughs> That's a great question. So I think the best projects for me are the ones where the company is doing something that fascinates me personally and that could be kind of game changing. And so part of my practice is working with pharmaceutical companies. That's a kind of technology. And so I've done work for a major global pharmaceutical company where we're really kind of making a difference in the in the deal work that we were doing to help that company run better and therefore deliver life saving drugs to its clients, its customers much more efficiently. So I think that's probably the most consequential type of project that I've worked on. Other projects or other clients and businesses tend to be around cybersecurity, for example, as I mentioned, that's a real strength here in the D.C. area. And every time we can make networks more secure, data more secure, that is helping society, keeping the bad guys out, if you will. And many of my clients are working in that field. And so I'm helping them raise money to do the development work that's needed to stay on the cutting edge and keep the bad guys
0: out. And as their lawyer, how much do you have to be knowledgeable about their company, the sector, I should say, that mm-hmm. they're working in? So have you had to, in effect, become somewhat of an expert on cybersecurity? Have you had to become somewhat of an expert in the pharmaceutical space working with some of these clients?
1: Yes, as a layperson. What I mean by that is no one expects you to be able to actually code the software or to develop the drugs. Of course, that's too much to ask. I I was a poli-sci major, as you might remember. I do. But I was a computer science minor. So I had the interest in that and a little bit of education in it, but not a lot. So the clients don't really expect that you become expert in what they do, but they expect that you have a strong interest in what they do and that you're willing to kind of get under the hood a bit and figure out what it is they do because that drives the kind of solutions that you craft for them, whether you're drafting documents agreements for them or trying to resolve a problem, if you don't understand what the underlying technology is, you're not going to necessarily get there, right? So what I counsel my young associates on is take a real interest, a genuine interest in what the client does. and. The client will will feel that viscerally that you have that interest. And they can also feel if you're not interested. So the key really is to take an interest. Don't worry if you don't have a lot of formal education in the field, but really ask the questions that help you understand as a layperson what it is they do and continue to kind of refine your understanding. And the clients will really appreciate that.
0: Tom, you mentioned some of the young associates. What do you think are some of the best advice that you could offer Java junkies? about how they should be managing up in the most effective way. And by managing up, for those who may not be familiar with it, it simply means you're in a subordinate position, you have a supervisor, you have people that you're reporting to. What do you think is the best advice that you could offer for a Java junkie to really impress their supervisor, that they are responsive, that they are anticipating the needs of their boss?
1: I think that just as the clients can tell when their lawyer is really interested in what they do, a supervisor can tell when their employee is interested in what is being done at the office. And so I would say that if you can have passion for what you do and an active interest in what you do and your head is in the game, you're kind of 90 percent there. Right. So even if you don't have a lot of innate knowledge about what needs to be done, but you're enthusiastic about learning, then that's really crucial because that you can get there with that kind of attitude. You can get there in terms of picking up the knowledge that you need and whether that's stopping by your supervisor's office and asking a few questions or looking for the right resources in terms of examples of previous documents and deals that you can read and learn from. You can be enterprising. Of course, there are great resources on the Internet as the internet provides all resources now. so you can do some some research on the project and get smart really quickly and the firms themselves have training materials internally available. So if you're enterprising, you can get the knowledge but the key is to have the right attitude going in
0: mm, That is so true. Tom, let's flashback a few years to the good old days when we were at Middlebury, just relaxing, no responsibilities other than going to class and whatever. You, as you mentioned, were a poli-sci major with a minor in computer science. Did you know what you were going to do with that degree when you graduated? I
1: had some ideas. It was really two roads in the woods. One was to go directly into the technology industry using that computer science minor and trying to catch up to the computer science majors and computer engineers and so on with my liberal arts education. And the other was to do something like go to law school. And I had a pretty good idea of go one of those two ways. So knowing that during my senior year, I took the LSAT and applied to some law schools basically as a hedge in case I didn't get a good job coming out of the spring interviewing season. So I got into law school and then the choice became fairly easy for me because that was kind of always one of the two ways I thought I would go. I should mention that I'm the first lawyer in my family. So I didn't really have a lot of, I didn't have parents or uncles or aunts that I could ask about what it was like to be in the legal profession. But I did have some mentors through summer jobs that were lawyers. I had an unpaid internship in Washington, D.C. this summer after my junior year, in which I worked for two lawyers at the Public Defender Service in Washington. And they really were the first real life lawyers that I had met. So they kind of guided me toward applying to law school. And so when I got into law school, I just went and the rest is history. Having said that, I think that going straight to law school from college probably wasn't my best move. I felt that my classmates who had had a couple of years out in the real world before coming back to go to law school probably had an advantage over me in terms of really knowing what they wanted to get out of law school. But I went straight through from college and came out fairly young and jumped right into the profession from there.
0: So you mentioned the internship or internships that you had while you were still in college. What other activities, extracurriculars, clubs, fraternities, things like that, were you involved in that in hindsight, you say, you know, there were some really valuable things that I picked up from engaging in those different activities that are relevant in some way, shape, or form to the work life that I have.
1: Well, a couple of things come to mind. One, I was involved with the college newspaper. And of course, since lawyering is so much has so much to do with language. That was very important. I did a lot of writing in college and of course I do a lot of writing now. So I think those things stay with you. And I was also involved in campus governance. I was part of what was called the community council. It was a group of faculty, staff and students that would get together to think about issues of the day on campus. And so being involved in that kind of committee work was, I think, very much a preview of what it meant to be counseling boards of directors, for example, and entrepreneurs. So those kind of things in retrospect really had they they were a good education for what I later came to do.
0: And what about being a disc jockey from 10 to 1 a.m.?
1: That was just fun. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, was, that was just fun. I'm not sure that it made me a better lawyer or worse lawyer, but...
0: But you're great when it comes to the annual party, Christmas party, right? Because you could be the disc jockey, right? I suppose,
1: <laughs> yes. I haven't been called upon to do that, but I do have, know how to put a playlist together on Spotify, so at least I have that going for me.
0: Tom, one of the things that you and I have talked about before is the kind of the upsides and the downsides of having a very very demanding job. One that is super interesting, intellectually stimulating, financially rewarding, and that fills you up, that makes you feel challenged. But the downside is that it's demanding, it requires long hours and all of that. What do you want to share with Java junkies in terms of having the right frame of mind as they think about perhaps pursuing a career as a tech business lawyer?
1: Well, first of all, I will say that for any profession to really succeed, you have to work very hard. Now, lawyers are particularly well known for working hard and working long hours but i don't think we have a monopoly on that by any stretch of the imagination so i won't i won't claim any distinctiveness here but i will say my personal experience is that if you choose a profession that you feel passionate about and that you want to pursue over the long haul don't be afraid to really throw yourself into it and if that requires 12 or 14 hour days some days then that's what it requires it is true that you're only in your 20s once but it is also true that your 20s is when you really become established in your career and it's possible to become established in your career work really hard meet someone great have significant relationship with them maybe have kids a lot happens in your 20s I remember that it was just a constant constant whirlwind of things happening. And gosh, we went to so many weddings. We had to get on an airplane every weekend practically to go to our friends' weddings. And then you maybe you had to get some work done in the hotel room when you weren't at the <laughs> wedding. But you just have to, to juggle it all. It ends up being kind of fun to do. It can be very frustrating. And I do remember some weekends that I absolutely couldn't leave the office because we had a deal cooking that I had to sign by Monday. And I missed a few, which is really regrettable. It's really, it's not a happy thing. But it also means that you're part of a team where you want to support the team and you're a key part of the team. And sometimes you just have to make those sacrifices. So the sacrifices are there. I won't deny that. But I think it's also the rewards will be there in the end if you really dedicate yourself to whatever profession you choose. It doesn't have to be technology law. It could really be anything.
0: Well, I, I can say, my goodness, how many events did I miss as a journalist? Yeah. Yeah where friends were getting married, friends were having big birthdays, there were just barbecues or whatever, and I couldn't go.
1: Right, right. Breaking yeah. news and off you went.
0: So I totally relate to that. It's, it is something, though, that I wish I had known about ahead of time. I mean, I should have because my dad's a journalist, but that I had really internalized that that's what the life would be like. Nevertheless, it was a great profession and career and and I did enjoy it. I just want people to go in with their eyes wide open. Absolutely. Tom, one of the questions that I try to ask all my guests on time for coffee is whether there was a moment, a time, a period in their professional life where shit was going on. I mean, where in my case, like I was let go when I was age 43, from CNN and I had to reinvent myself and forge my way in a whole different professional path. Sometimes you have bad supervisors. Sometimes you're in a job where you're drowning and you don't really know where the way out is. I'm just wondering if you've had a time in your professional life where you struggled and how you found your way through to the other side.
1: Well, I think there do come times when there's a struggle and it may be around one of these times when you've missed a critical event or something and you really wonder whether what you're doing is right for you. And so I've had some low points there. I have four kids, so that's a lot of birthdays and league games and soccer games and taking them to summer camp and things like that. So there are times when you say, well, it would be much more convenient and good for my family if I didn't have to stay behind and do this do this deal for this client. So those those were some low points. Another low point that I think of is that you may not appreciate this if you're young, but the economy has low points. The economy is very cyclical. And we're on something like an eight or nine year bull market here with the stock market going up and up and up for that period of time. And so it doesn't seem like there will ever be another recession. But remember, just 10 years ago, we had one of the biggest recessions of our country's history. And those have tended to come about every seven to 10 years over the course of our entire history. So there have been times when I've had multiple clients in real financial distress during one of these recessions, and have had to essentially shut them down, help shut them down. And a lot of people have lost their jobs during these down periods, and so that's that's really not a lot of fun. And I guess the the only consolation is that you're helping do it in a rational way rather than let it happen chaotically. But it, those aren't the, the days that you enjoy being at work. No, right. So I've had those kind of low points. And the only, I guess it's kind of analogous to when a doctor loses a patient on the operating table or something like that. Of course, the doctor's situation is much worse than any business scenario, but still it has a consequence for the people working there. Absolutely, and so, uh, yeah, I would say that, that that happens. And the only advice I would give is that, you know, you're trying to provide as much support as you can during those very difficult times. And you're trying to reduce the shock of the situation and you're staying in touch with all the people that were at the company that helping them dust themselves off and start again. Absolutely. And life is long. So you can go through those very tough down cycles knowing that there'll be another time when things are much better. Tom, what is the best career advice you've ever gotten? Mm So, I had a mentor named Jack Lewis who really trained me as a lawyer. He was really one of the one of the leaders of the washington d c business law community when I was coming up as a young lawyer. and what he said is, "Always spell the name of the client correctly at the top of the document because if you misspell the client's name, he or she won't read the rest of the document so <laughs> That's okay. a pretty small piece of advice, but really what it, what it was meant to say is pay attention to the small things. Make sure you get the big things right, but don't forget to pay attention to the small things, the details. Spell the client's name right. Make sure that the document is correctly numbered. Make sure you don't mistype the email address. Show up at meetings on time. Just have attention to detail. So that served me very well.
0: Absolutely. I think that it's so easy for us to think of all the flashy things, but when it comes right down to it, the these are some old fashioned principles that hold true today.
1: I think so, yes. By the way, he gave me that advice because I kept misspelling a particular client's name. <laughs> so after about the third time he gave me this advice and so
0: <laughs> And you've never so forgotten I've
1: it. I've never forgotten it. Exactly. Right.
0: Hopefully you stopped misspelling it. I did
1: stop. I okay. always double check. Yes.
0: So, Tom, you mentioned you've got four kids. They're all almost in the Java Junkie age range. Oh, very much so. One of them is still in college. One will be going to college in a year. The other graduated recently. If you could go back to college yourself, whether to Middlebury, where else would you go? We should say the three of Tom's four kids have gone to Middlebury. So. Based on the wisdom that you have now, what is the advice that you would give yourself?
1: Do the reading. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I would say uh, have fun, but don't forget that you have this irreplaceable opportunity at college. It's, it's four years out of your life and definitely have fun. But also take your academics seriously because that's really your chance To grow intellectually. So, every book that you don't quite finish, that's a book you probably won't get back around to reading later. So, put the time in to get your work done. That's not a very glamorous thing to say, but again, it's kind of like dedicate yourself to whatever it is that you're about. So, that's one. And I guess the other is on the theme of what to do after college. I would say do something unconventional. I didn't do that. I went from college straight to law school, but would it have killed me to? hitchhike around the world or you know run ski lifts someplace or bartend or whatever no it wouldn't have been it would have been kind of a great way to do a reset so I guess my advice to my younger self would be have your goals but also don't forget to have some fun while you're in college work hard and play hard take some time after college to collect your thoughts figure out what you want to do maybe do the URL pass or whatever it is and do some traveling and then apply to grad school and and you're off and running
0: Tom Knox, thank you so much for making time for coffee with me and the Java Junkie community today. And a special thanks for not saying anything that embarrassed me.
1: (laughs) And thank you for not saying anything to embarrass me, Andrea. It's a mutual (laughs) non-aggression treaty. So it's great to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you